And welcome back, everybody, to the Freaking Awesome Podcast, and this is episode 35. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> let's kill that bass head. Alright, let's do this. I'm on the air, we on the air, we got this pockets flow. It's me and Tony on the mics, we gotta let you know. Of current events, little gaming, sprinkling some entertainment. We stay humble, but our mom still thinks we're famous. Turn up the bass and baby, maybe let that magic flow. Our spoken word is all the things you really wanna know. Having a good time on the show, T Bows and Maddie G. Tune in and hit subscribe and join us on the FAP. Welcome back, everyone, to the Freaking Awesome Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Bose, and sitting across from me is a life-size cardboard cutout of Matty G from his February edition of Naked Podcaster Calendar. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, never, we never know what you're going to get. I'm glad we don't have to sit and listen. look at that. <laughs> Today, we have a very special guest uh, on our show. Many of you have probably uh, spent uh, the majority of your ch- uh, teenage years rocking out and listening to his beats going out all across the country. Uh, he is a uh, musician. He is also a, uh, a a show caster, a sports announcer, and his name is Steve Gorman. Steve, thank you very much for being on the show. It is my pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. Well, it's, uh, it's our our pleasure. Believe you, I I, tend, I spent most of my uh, teen to to late uh, college years uh, listening to uh, the Black Crows. So um, I, I it's been it's uh, even amazing that I heard that you would uh, even talk with us. So. <laughs> Well, I lost a bet. I mean, truth be told, you know, I mean, I'll just, that's, how, that's how these things go. You know? Yep, it's true. Sometimes you do a show because you want to. Sometimes you got to do it because you lost a bet. <laughs> All right, listen, you can't welch on a bet, man. Word hits the street and then you, you, know, you get no action ever again. That's right. That's good point. That's good Credibility point. goes all downhill. <laughs> right on. Matty G, let's get into the news. All righty. So first article I have is dog found behind wheel after high speed chase in Washington state. <laughs> so a very sweet pit, pit bull was reportedly in the driver's seat after a car crash. Uh, her owner faces multiple charges. A Washington state man who led police on a high-speed chase on Sunday um, may not have actually been driving. Officers said they found the suspect's pet pit bull behind the wheel um, after his 1996 Buick crashed. Um, Seattle TV station Como uh, was the reporting um, uh team on 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 standby there so the unidentified 51 year old male suspect from lakewood washington is now facing several charges including dui reckless driving hit and run and felony eluding authorities said the man allegedly struck two vehicles before he fled on interstate five one trooper reported seeing the pit bull in the driver's seat with the owner handling the steering wheel uh, from the passenger seat so legit this dog was driving <laughs> um, I, listen fellas i'll tell you right now i i have a lot of experience with pit bulls that whole biting strangers thing that's all just to throw you off the scent of the true crime nature in this breed <laughs> <laughs> right? Bite, biting people is the least of your concerns where pit bulls are concerned yeah. <laughs> apparently drunk no, and driving is their big thing <laughs> no no get getaway drivers in the northwest oh, well you would call it the southwest right oh, so <laughs> nobody wants to fight that thing. driver <laughs> That's what I'm well, saying. It, it can it gets better. So, <laughs> um, the car reportedly hit 109 miles per hour during the chase, and at one point dro- drove on a popular trail where pedestrians and cyclists are usually seen. 
And um, state tr- state troopers eventually ended the pursuit by throwing down spike traps, um, which which basically flipped the vehicle into the accident. So, um, <laughs> so <laughs> apparently the state patrol officer on duty was told immediately that the this guy was trying to teach his dog how to drive. That that there was no excuse. It was just like, yeah, I was I was trying to teach him how to drive. <laughs> oh wow. He, he, trust me, the, the dog's smarter than this dude. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, man. Pit, pit bulls have got a whole secret life you don't know anything about. You don't want to know. <laughs> that's what that that's what that uh, that photo of the dogs playing poker was modeled off of. Bunch of pit yeah. bulls. Oh yeah. Bunch oh of yeah. Pit bulls. <laughs> yep. I, I've I, listen, man, I've sat at a take pit bulls, they they're card counters. I mean, don't get <laughs> don't play don't play blackjack with a pit bull. I'm telling you, you lose your shirt. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. Anyway, so the, this this person was uh, he released on an eighty five hundred dollar bond. Oh, that that is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'd pay eighty five hundred dollars to see a pit bull drive a car down my right? street just once. <laughs> right. I, I would have just loved to have seen like a helicopter cam footage of that chase. <laughs> Oh my gosh, man! Man, that's just as good as the the dog that was uh, remember driving the car in circles because it got yes. uh, stuck in the car. <laughs> that was so yes, great. oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> this this pit bull is definitely one uh, one sob that just wants to up the game for dogs everywhere. <laughs> that's, I would. That's amazing. Would, you know, you uh, could say that, that, that every dog, every male dog, is an sob if you want to really get down to it. That that is true. Oh yeah, good point. That's a good point. See? Yeah. yeah. See. Love it. All right. So um my article today, um so we we always love to take a dump on Florida because they have the best news that comes out of it. And uh, this one is is a little bit different for us because it's actually a, a positive news. Uh giving everything that's going on with coronavirus, there's a man from Florida uses a drone to deliver toilet paper to his neighbor. Um, so the, the man who had devised a imaginative method for sending toilet paper over to his neighbor on March 27th was uh, using his personal drone, uh, in this footage, Tom Kane. So there was a, an actual footage that we'll try to post up on the site. It is, is, it's really actually impressive. The guy does some really good piloting. Um, Tom Kane can be seen attaching a whole bunch of rolls of toilet paper to the drone and flying them across the neighborhood lagoon and dropping them directly into the neighbor's backyard. Um, Kane had told uh, the reporters that his friend had called me up and uh, asked if I had any extra toilet paper that I could spare. Um, they weren't able to get out of the house and they're very concerned about social distancing, distancing in stores. He added, More, most of the stores around here are still sold out of toilet paper. And I said to him that I would try to rig up something with, the, with my personal drone to see if I can make it to your house. Uh, the idea worked out and he was able to deliver like six rolls of toilet paper in one shot to his, uh, to his neighbor. So it's wonderful seeing in in everything that's going on with all the toilet paper hoarders out there. This man not only is willing to spare a roll, he spares six rolls, and and flies it in a uh, in a very uh, technological way. You know, people are using technology for good things nowadays. Okay, um, I, I got a question for the two of you, and I need a straight <laughs> answer. And don't hedge. <laughs> all right. Okay. Yep. Yeah. What's the Florida of Canada? Oh geez, um, oh. and I don't mean I don't mean beaches and nice weather. I mean where are all the crazies? Oh, Newfoundland. I was going to say <laughs> Newfoundland. Yeah, that's wow. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Wow. It's, 
Um, I appreciate that shooting from the hip against our friends in the Northeast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? It's funny because some of the wow. nicest people are there too, but also the craziest. Yeah. 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 I've, I've worked with a, a lot of people out of Newfoundland. Uh, some of them are absolutely amazing and some are right nutty. It is really funny. <laughs> Um, I got a buddy in Nashville from, I got, uh, do you guys remember a band called Matt Mays and, uh, El Torpedo? I think they were called Matt Mays and Torpedoes. Yeah. Yeah. They did a tour with the Black Crows in 2006. I think they're from Newfoundland. Oh, that that would make, yeah. And, uh, their keyboard player is a guy named Robbie Crowell and he is in Nashville now he's been here for years he's incredible matt mays and el torpedo that's what they were called oh you know what they're from nova scotia that's not the same thing never mind sorry really close close. sorry guys yep (laughs) yeah i'm sure someone uh... i'm sure to someone those are fighting words sorry (laughs) it's true nova scotia didn't mean to bring you into this uh shit show (laughs) (laughs) sorry oh anyway well let me finish the thought robbie crowell is an incredible keyboardist and he lives here in nashville and in fact he plays like every instrument under the sun he's he's a truly uh of all the great musicians in Nashville, Tennessee, and there are no shortage of them, he is a uh, he's a pretty special cat. Yeah, that's hmm. amazing. The, the the multifunctional artist, which is uh, it's fantastic when you get a, a one man band nowadays, especially with the, like again, he does it talking, all, man. Yeah, we talk about technology. I mean, there are so many artists nowadays that are coming out that are literally just one man bands. They they get some mm-hmm. keyboards, MIDI players, a couple uh, launch pads, and and they do it all themselves. Uh, look at look at tones. I tell you what, if you want to check out, if you want, hey, if you want to check out a two man band that actually plays, um, there's a band called Illiterate Light that I recommend to everybody I talk to. Um, Illiterate Light, they're on Atlantic Records. Two man band. The guitar player plays uh, bass, all the key uh, with foot pedals, so he stands and plays guitar, and then his feet are running all the bass lines, and then wow. the drummer stands next to him, stands while he plays too. So they're they're incredible. Anyway, wow. ask for them by name, Illiterate Light, an unsolicited uh, recommendation for your listeners. Yeah, we'll we'll totally check that out. I mean, how, how could I not look uh, up a, a reference that came from uh, from someone from the Black Crows? <laughs> right? I mean, it, it's like you're, you're pitching another person's music. And you know, it's got to be good. Yeah, I actually well, just took you know, that. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Check it out, man. You'll dig it. And they, yeah. they're, they're, they'll be, uh, they'll, they're on the road once everyone's back on the road. They've been, they're, they're, they're total road dogs. They're everywhere. They're great, but they their video stuff's fantastic. So you can go right down a giant YouTube K hole with them anytime you want. <laughs> oh, sweet. Well, with with everybody working from home, this is the the perfect time for everybody to get lost in YouTube. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or Netflix. Or Netflix. I'm on episode four yeah. of Tiger King. Oh, you know what? <laughs> I I got into this. I I don't even know if I can say I'm into this. Um, Kelly started <laughs> watching it. I got hooked into it. Uh, I'm still, I'm still kind of walk in and out cause I'm not fully invested into it, but let me tell you, you want to talk about shit shows. That thing is <laughs> crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was a, uh, that was, a, that was a two day, uh, top to bottom for me last week. I did the whole <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah. <laughs> that a boy. <laughs> I gotta tell you, it's, it's not an easy binge. Uh, I mean, there are other shows no. out there that I could easily sit through and watch probably even twice through. That is not one of them, but it's like watching a slow moving train wreck. You can't wait to find out the final, the final punch. Right. You know what show got me actually really bad? Like, uh, where I just had to watch it like up till two, three in the morning. Cause I just lost track of time was, uh, making a murderer. I got right hooked into that. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I think <laughs> Kelly, Kelly was watching that one. I didn't watch that. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, uh, 
uh, there's a show called Patriot on Amazon Prime. That's yes. that's my that's my TV show hardiest recommendation of all time. Okay. Lately, Patriot. Nice. I, that's on my two list. Two seasons. Actually, Patriot. Yeah, two seasons, yeah. eighteen episodes. Uh, it requires very close attention. So put the phone down and put on the subtitles too, because uh, oh. I'll just I don't want to spoil anything. But there are songs that are a part of the show and you got to hear the, you got to know the lyrics to the songs. And so uh, just to be safe, Interesting. You know, crank out the, su- yeah. work the subtitles. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's my favorite show in, in years and years and years. So I'm one of those people who I'm very iffy about subtitles, because if I find I'm reading the subtitles and more than watching the movie, I, I feel that I'm, I've kind of, oh, I got to watch this movie again now to figure out everything that's going on. Uh, and that, that action actually for the first time that ever happened, I watched uh, brotherhood of the wolf. And um, it was kind of an interesting movie, but I, because it was a French film, you end up watching, reading all the subtitles. And um, if I generally can avoid it, I will. But the flip side to that is I watched one of the Wolverine movies where he was in Japan without subtitles. That movie did not make any sense. (laughs) (laughs) I watched the whole thing and I'm like, well, surely what they're talking about can't be that important. And I'm like, why is he doing that? <laughs> I, I totally ruined that movie for myself. <laughs> Wolverine without context. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was the worst, worst ever. So. I've, uh, I just... I, I've successfully steered clear of the Wolverine franchise in its entirety. So uh, Ooh, really? But um, yeah, I, I haven't seen any of those. I, I don't know even I just know that's a thing. I don't even know what it is or who he is or I've, I've not seen any of the if I've seen a superhero movie, it's um. It's just old school stuff like the Batman stuff. I've seen the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, but that's it. Like, oh. I don't know anything about the event. I haven't seen Iron Man or the Avengers or any of that stuff. I don't know any of these things. Wow. Hmm. I, I'm going to say that you're more of a DC person then. I'm just I'm just going to put that mark on you right now, because <laughs> even though you, you, you knew the names, you knew the references to the other movies. I, if you've only watched DC movies, you're a DC person. <laughs> Well, I don't, I don't even know what that means. I, I'm just saying that, um, you know, I got kids and they were in, my son was into the Batman movies. So I saw those. That's really all it comes down to. Oh, I see. You know <laughs> what I though? Mean, like yeah. though, that trilogy though, is probably one of the best of any superhero series by, by far. It was, so, it was good. Yeah. So you're, you're, uh, you're not missing a whole lot. Yeah, that's true. What do you got for your second news article there, Mike? Uh, well, it's a good segue, actually. It's, um, it's a little bit, it's the other side of Florida news. <laughs> uh, <so laughs> yeah, um, uh, Florida, there's always gotta be one. <laughs> a Florida man told cops he found a naked stranger in his bed. Um, according to a police report from, uh, Collier County Sheriff's Office, a Florida man had such an encounter and claims that it wasn't pretty. Homeowner Brandon Hall told local news stations that he was shocked to walk into his Naples home around 3 a.m. last Wednesday and see a stranger in his bed, sans clothing. It wasn't pleasant, I'll tell you that much, uh, Hall told the, the news station. According to the sheriff's report, the nude individual was John Lyles, 38. Uh, officers responding to Hall's 911 call found the man lying balls up in the victim's robe, expo- <laughs> exposing his genitalia. A deputy, a deputy asked Lyles if he knew where he was, and the suspect stated that he did not. Uh, we would later find out from John that he had been walking through the woods and brush completely naked. Um, <clears throat> the South Carolina and was taken to the local hospital for evaluation after his medical release, Lyles was handcuffed and taken to uh, Naples Jail Center for processing. 
During the ride, the affidavit states that he attempted to tear the patrol car apart and uh, and was experiencing periodic bursts of manic rage. Um, Hall reported a PlayStation 4 was missing and later recovered outside the home's window. Um, <laughs> he was later released on $2,000 bond. So the guy broke in, took the PlayStation 4, smashed it on the ground, went back in, laid on the bed naked. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> now, guy, you're missing. You're missing the no, no. You're missing the whole story. The guy went in. He played the PlayStation Four, and as I've told my children for years, that shit will rot your brains. <laughs> and he probably spent no more than thirty minutes on that thing and lost his mind and went literally shit house crazy. Yep. <laughs> Totally, that's, that's, totally, that's how I read that story. He totally raged out, <laughs> Matt just completely uh, rage quit through the PlayStation out the window. Uh, honestly, <laughs> I needed the, a naked nap, Mike. <laughs> yeah, that, that needed to be balls out. Um, I, the funniest thing I find out of that is the of all the things the guy's like, hey, my PlayStation missing. <laughs> like, he's not worried about some guy breaking into his house. He doesn't worry that there's this naked dude, like, fully exposed on his bed. Like, first of all, the guy got well, into yeah. his robe. The second he got into his bed, like, I'd be burning my bed. <laughs> right? Hey, listen, man. Listen, man. Trust me. Do this Do this sometime for, uh, just to experiment, just to prove a point. Break into a crack addict's house. Take his crack. <laughs> he won't notice if you're naked either. He's going to be like, where's my crack? <laughs> Like, Where's my PlayStation? He needed a fix. His PlayStation was gone. He lost it. He yep. called the cops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. If anything, I think it'd be funner to break into someone's house and leave a PlayStation. <laughs> They'd be like, what the hell? <laughs> Whoa, that's genius. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, man. That is funny. Um, so the next is actually speaking of genitalia. This is uh, fantastic. A, a good segue into my article. Wow, oh, we lined this up really well, actually, for someone who <laughs> we don't even look at each other's articles. This is good. Yeah, this is great. So the title on this one is Man with the World's Largest Penis Exposed as a Fake by Doctor Who Says It's Just Six Inches Long. <laughs> who saw that coming? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> so Roberto Esquelevel, uh of Saltillo, Mexico, uh, had gained worldwide attention on his appendage after claiming that it was 18.9 inches long, making it the world's largest penis. Um, but the radiologist, Dr. Jesus Pablo uh, Gilmuro, who examined Robert through the world record claims into doubt when he said the man had refused to take off all the bandages that would not let him see the skin. Uh, Dr. Miro said, when he came here to do a CAT scan, uh, my uh, first impression was that it was a unique and unusual case. I'd never seen a patient like Roberto. He said <laughs> that he had, right, or, or an 18.9 <laughs> 18. inch dog, maybe. Uh, <laughs> Except for horses and small wildlife. <laughs> right. <laughs> he, he had said he'd become suspicious around conducting the CT scan, uh, saying, well, what would the scan show? And um, and he said, well, the first thing that he had noticed is that there was very large foreskin. Uh, it, it goes just before the knee. But the penis itself, about 16 to 18 centimeters from the pubis, he had said that it doesn't actually go all the way through the foreskin. The rest of the tissue found around it was just foreskin, blood vessels, and some inflammation of the skin. So this man basically had a six-inch penis with... 12.9 inches of foreskin. 
This is so, this article is so in depth. <laughs> so uh, apparently they they had talked to Roberto's psychol a psychiatrist to reveal that he began enlarging his penis when he was a teenager, and that he was he was obsessed with penis length. Um, he understood that the fifty four year old had been stretching it using weights since he was a teenager. Um, the claim had sent quivers through the world uh, record community, particularly after the man with the second largest penis in the world <laughs> argued that Roberto's dong was not what it was made out to be. Uh, Jonah Falcon 47, who claims that he has a 13.5 inch penis, says the fact that Roberto had been using weights proves that his claim is not real. <laughs> Just wow. Well, what kind of guy? What kind of guy spends years? You know, right? trying to—that's th- a guy that doesn't really understand what that what that's supposed to be used for in the first place. I mean, <laughs> exactly. What, well, the, a, an eighteen-inch penis is like that's like when you when someone says, "I saw this guy; he could throw a football one hundred and eighty yards." It's like great, the field's one hundred yards long. <laughs> exactly. The, the, what good. useless? Yeah. What's the point? <laughs> well, and and to to have like twelve inches of foreskin. Like, I mean, you have to realize that if you're just stretching the skin and the penis itself is not getting larger, you gotta give up. <laughs> if you by the way, hey, let me tell you something. If you think that a, a, a giant, you know, schlong is gonna impress the ladies, I can assure you twelve inches of foreskin ain't the way to get that done. That, that's not gonna help. <laughs> exactly. that, no. That's, that's no. That, nobody. And by the way, the woman who is impressed, run for the hills if you meet yeah. her. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, jeez. She, she's because trust me, she's she's got a and she's an experienced tanner, and she wants a wallet. That's what she's looking for. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, and and they say that's why women well, prefer circumcised men in the first something. place because they can't resist half off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I didn't know where this Thursday afternoon was going to take me, but I, I you know, I, I got to say. Not, didn't, didn't see us going down here at all. <laughs> you can go down a very uh, dark, deep hole. It's like uh, you're, not you're a welcome. complaint; it's just an observation. Yeah, great. Uh, yep. Oh. Everybody's Amazing. verbal masturbation for the day. Yeah, love it. All right. Well, uh, no segue at all into this, <laughs> Steve. Let's bring <laughs> things around to you. <laughs> um. So tell us, uh, I mean, you, uh, you've got a book that just came out. I did. I wrote a book called The Biggest Cocks in Rock and Roll. No, I wrote a book <laughs> called, um, I wrote a book called uh, Hard to Handle, Hard to Handle the Life and Death of the Black Crows. Sorry, th- that was the working title, but I switched it you know, for publication. <laughs> nice, nice, yeah. yeah. Well, Actually, either way, it's still in, hard in to all handle. sincerity, and, and tr- that's very true. I, uh, I actually was going to call it hard to handle the official autopsy report of the black crows. That's a true story. And the publisher wow. was like, uh, no, we're, we're not trying to confuse the listener before they've opened the book up. <laughs> um, I was like, Oh, I just thought it was funny. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. But, um, um, yeah, uh, it came out in September. It's, um, uh, let's see. It's a book. It's about my, I, I didn't, I, I don't spend a whole lot of time. Like I was born in, 1965 in a bucolic neighborhood. It starts basically with me hopping on a Greyhound bus, moving to Atlanta and, and meeting the singer of the black Crows, Chris Robinson that night. And then within a few months we were in a band together. It just goes right from 
me moving to Atlanta to start playing music. And, um, you know, it's a pretty crazy story. Even as it was happening for 27 years, the whole time, I knew it was kind of wild. I, I moved to Atlanta in February of 87, having never owned a drum kit in my life. And in February of 90, our first album came out. So it was a really fast, um, things happened really, really quickly. And then, and then they didn't really slow down for through the year 2013. And it finally blew up in 2014. So it was still a, a really good run. I mean, when you think about it now, it, it's, oh, actually it's incredible. Very, it's, it's very interesting that uh, the way you had uh, led that into it's like, well, I fell out of the womb and I just got on a bust and <laughs> yeah. to Atlanta. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Well, sure, and, yeah. Had some I, I, interest I, I, in music. Well, and, oh, and yeah, that's, for sure. the funny I mean, thing I is, I think I read, but... I read somewhere that uh, you actually had started in, in music since like you were four years old. No, complete false. I don't know where oh, you would have seen that. Okay. I, uh, when I was a, in the fourth grade, when I was about nine, I got a snare drum and I, uh, for the school band, and I okay. was so disillusioned. I wanted to play a drum kit. I mean, I always wanted to be a drummer. It was the only thing I really remember thinking about doing. Mm-hmm. But I was the eighth kid of eight. And oh, uh, wow. That's the, it wasn't like there was extra money laying around for a drum kit. And I sure as hell wasn't going to get a job and buy my own. I mean, I'm not crazy. So, um, uh, <laughs> It just, Steve, it was beat your brothers. <laughs> I played yeah. for, yeah, I played, that's about, that's about it. It was like, no, here's a basketball. That's, yeah. that's, there's one ball for all of you. Go to the driveway and kill each other. Get out of the house. Um, it makes a good beat. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> it, you'd be surprised. Um, yeah. But I, 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 I mean, I loved, I, my whole world was just playing sports and listening to records. Like that's what I did. You know, as a sports fan, I played sports. And then if I wasn't do- involved in that, I was just in the basement listening to records, wishing I could be in a band, but not having any idea how that could even possibly happen. You know what I mean? I was, by the time I moved to Kentucky when I was 10 and I was in a small town and it just, it, it just, there's no, if you're a great little league baseball player, then you become a great high school baseball player. Then you can go to, co- you know, there's a path to continue mm-hmm. if you're playing sports that makes sense. And that's the way I looked at the world anyway. Um, was baseball your go-to like, sport? No, it wasn't. I, it was actually basketball and soccer are my two sports. Um, nice. I played them, the two things I played my whole life. But I mean, when I was 12 and I'd meet a new kid at school and go, do you like music? He'd go, yeah. And I'd go, do you want to start a band? He'd go, huh? <laughs> it's like there was no there was no follow up. And then when people would say, well, what do you play? And I would say, well, I want to play drums. You know, it's like those conversations yeah. don't last very long. So yeah. um Anyway, long story short, I got to college and started playing occasionally. I had I met a friend who had a drum kit and I would go, hey, and like I remember saying, like, hey, can I try that real quick? And I, you know, sat down and immediately I knew how to play. I I knew I could play. I just always had this sense, like I'm supposed to be playing drums. And then by the time I was, you know, summer I turned 21, I started kind of having anxiety attacks, like wait a minute, I'm going to graduate in a year. And then I have to be like a real person. And I never tried to be a drummer. I'm supposed to be in a band. What the hell am I doing? So an old friend called and said, do you want to start a band? And I said, yes. And I moved to Atlanta pretty much on a whim. And his roommate was Chris Robinson. So like, as soon as I got there, literally that night, Chris picked me up at the bus station. And then uh, next thing you know, we're in a band together. And and then the shit went sideways for a <laughs> <Yeah>. long time. <laughs> Wow. It, it, and it's it's really interesting. So when when maybe you can clear up a little thing for actually, because uh, Matt and I were talking about this when Black Crows were initially formed, 
Um, now, I know you were in on kind of like that ground level of, of the Black Crows forming, but there was one drummer before you, was there not? I think there was three or four. I mean, they were, you know, when I joined the band, Rich was still a senior in high school. Like I was 21 and he was 17, our guitar player. And mm-hmm. so it was still essentially a high school band. And so like every high school band, they were called Mr. Crow's Garden and they had a different rhythm section every few months because, you know, they, they weren't good. They didn't have any idea what they were doing in the way mm-hmm. that no one really does when you're a kid. Yeah, they, exactly. they had ideas of what they wanted to do, but it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't like there was people lining up to go, oh, my God, this band's amazing. So they had several, you know, yeah, they started off with, I think their cousin was their drummer. And then they had another guy. And then they had a dude who was with them for, I really don't know, maybe a year. But that's a year where you're playing two or three shows a month at the most, at the absolute most. Um, And then that guy left because he joined... Another there was another local band that got a record deal and they said, hey, do you want to join our band? So he quit Mr. Gross Garden and joined this band called Driving and Crying, uh, who still exists. They had a they've had a great, tremendous career, Um, Mm -hmm. a region, you know, really, you know, I mean, they had some some big play in the early 90s, but they've maintained a great regional following and they're they're a great songwriter, great band, et cetera, et cetera. But so, you know, Mr. Gross Garden needs a drummer to to play and and. You know, I was like, yeah, let me try that. I had been playing for all of three months and um, and joined them. And, and we just were right back to ground zero. It's like we did, and the bass player had quit. So it was, it, you know, it wasn't like this was a bona fide established band. And I was like some lucky guy to get the call. My roommate needed a drummer and said, why don't you do it? And I was like, cool. <laughs> OK, you know, it was that was kind of it. You know, I mean, I knew they had a great ambition and we all had a we had a copacetic sense of humor. We all shared a, a kind of a, a desperation more than a focused ambition. There was just this, we'll do anything to do something great. You know, we don't even know how to do it, but we're going to fucking figure it out. You know, it was like yeah. we shared, there was an energy and there was an intent that, that I couldn't explain it at the time in linear terms, but I felt that when I joined that band, the three of us were like, we were just this unit. We weren't all best friends necessarily. And, you know, we didn't see eye to eye on much of anything. You shared that drive. I, we just, we had this one, you know, our Venn diagram, that little center circle was kind of small, but it was really, really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very focused and toned when you, when you get to it. Yeah. The, now when, um, what, what was the big influence but from changing it from Mr. Crow's garden to the black crows? Well, we, we got a record deal and we, we, we reco- had Shake Your Moneymaker finished. You know, we were in the studio in the summer of 89 making that record. It was finished. It was going to come out in February of 90. And that fall, the record label was, came to us and said, hey, by the way, we hate your band name. Like, <laughs> we're not, we're not, it, it doesn't flow well. And it's the, the, the truth of the matter is we didn't like it either. And we had spent time trying to figure out what to change it to. And we couldn't come up with anything we all agreed on. Any um, funny spin-offs fact, that you look back on now that stuck? Yeah, well, well, while we were making the record, we were in the studio one day, and I remember there was like a legal pad and a Sharpie. And I picked up the Sharpie and said, okay, let's come up with a name. And, and people were fly, firing out band names. And I wrote them all down. And we, we were called Mr. Crow's Garden, which I thought that was kind of a cool name when I first saw it. Um, by the third or fourth time somebody says, would you say Mr. Coast Guard? You know, then you go, well, this isn't really a great name. Um, yep. But um, 
But, you know, I, I remember writing down on a list of things, uh, a list of names. And so around town, people just called us the crows. It was like, oh, you're the crows playing anytime soon. And it was just crows. Everything was about crows. And so we thought, well, let's just be the crows. And let's spell mm-hmm. it with an E, like the way we did in Mr. Crow's Garden. Well, there was already like several bands around the world called the Crows, both with an E and without an E. And then we said, okay, well, let's be the something Crows. And I remember there was the Stone Cold Crows. And then somebody had said the Black Crows. And the funny thing is, nobody remembers who said it, but I wrote it down. I don't, I don't know if it was me. I honestly, no one knows who first said <laughs> the Black Crows. Hmm. But it was on a list of names. There, I, I think Chris came, thought what he, I remember he said, what about gasoline? Just the word gasoline for a band name. And, <laughs> and everybody was like, no, but you know, the, but the thing about <laughs> yeah, band names is, out. <laughs> the thing about band names is, you know, a lot of them are terrible. I mean, the police is the worst band name of all time, but once you yeah. hear it three times, you, 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 you just associate it with the music, you know, there's, it, it's so it's weird. The ones that work, you know, cause a lot of them, the first time you hear them, you go, wait, what? And then the second you hear that song, you forget what the, what the name sounded like at first and you just run with it. So did you say Ario Speedwagon? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all, but all, all this to say, all this to say, we were still having this conversation when the label called and said, Hey, we want you to change your name. That's what we said. No fucking way. We're Mr. Crow's garden. Like we weren't about to yeah. let them tell us what to do. Yeah. And we dug in our heels and then at some point after going back and forth for a few weeks, I guess we had given all a bunch of those names. To, I, I, you know, the truth is, again, n- another thing nobody remembers, but Rick Rubin, who owned the label we were signed to, he didn't sign us and he didn't produce us, but he wrote the check. Fairly significant part of the equation. Yep. Uh, Rick yep. Rubin called and said, I like, he said, I like the Black Crows. And we were like, no. And I remember saying like, well, it's redundant. What crow isn't black? It's stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like... <laughs> It's a, uh, you know, and he said, no, I like the black crows. And, and he, and I remember he told us a story that like the international distributor and radio program directors, they're all, everyone hates the name. They're already saying they won't play a single by a band called Mr. Crow's Garden. Now that's not true, but we were so dumb. We didn't know it wasn't true. And we were like, oh, wait a minute. We don't, we want to be on the radio. We, we don't want people to hate we us. We want fame and money. <laughs> and so we all had this, you know, we were all at a, we were actually in Rome, Georgia at a club getting ready to play. And Rich is talking to the label on a payphone, and he hangs up and he said, they said, I got a call back in 10 minutes. They really want black crows. And so we all, I geared up for like this big, we're going to stick it to the man and stand our ground and no way. And within three minutes, we completely caved and went, okay, we'll be the black crows. <laughs> hey man. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes you have to to give a give a little to to earn a lot. Well, and yep. again, this is the same band who we were all furious that they wanted hard to handle to be on the album because we were like, that's like a B side. We just did that for the hell of it. What? Mm-hmm. That's not going to be a hit. Nobody wants to hear Otis Redding right now. And you know, again, a lot of times bands are the last to know what's good for them, and that was our that was pretty much the story of us from day one. We were we were never our own uh, best advocates. Wow. And just, uh, and it just flowed from there. Like you guys just kept on going and, and doing well. And, and then eventually you guys hit a, a little bit of, uh, creative differences and a little animosity. To, to maybe say well, we, we always had, we always were surrounded by great people. We had a great manager. We had great producers. We had great crew. We had every, our agents were great. You know, we're, we're the rare story of a band that actually had a great career, uh, right in front of it. 
And um, unlike the replacements who, you know, nobody helped or, un- you know, there's a lot of hard luck stories. We're not one of those. The Black Crows built built an entire path for to be one of those all time 30, 40, 50 year bands. And within four years, we were completely uh, thanks to a million things, you know, ego and, and uh, addiction and codependency and and, um, you know, brothers that hated each other's guts. You know, there was a all internal dysfunction got to got to a place where, you know, we were just the band was just on uh, virtually unsustainable. Yet that desperation that connected us to begin with, we couldn't let it go. We couldn't we couldn't stop and admit we were in trouble and fix ourselves. And we were too we were kind of too crazy to succeed and too crazy to stop at the same time. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And the book is really there's a lot of high points and and I don't spend too much time talking about like the music because the music is the music. You can listen to it and you dig it or you don't, you get it or you don't. But what it was like in the band when you are dealing with um, um, not just fame and fortune, but, but most specifically addiction and codependency, anybody that's dealt with that with a family member or with anybody they worked with or with a friend, your life can become unmanageable really fast when you're, when you're tied at the hip to an addict. Um, and, and it's, it's, everybody ends up playing roles that they don't even know they're playing, you know, with, with 30 years of hindsight and a lot of self-examination and and therapy and other things that, that I've gone through, you know, it, it re it's perfectly crystal clear to me, but at the time it was as foggy as anything. It was like truly the fog of war, you know, for, for 20 years being in that band, we were tearing each other apart. Um, the world was saying repeatedly, we'd like to we would like the black crows to be really big and successful and great. And the black crows were saying, no, we're going to do it my way. And we're going to do it my way. And, you know, yeah. we, we had every opportunity to, uh, to, to write the ship and we're just never able to do it. And I found like, as someone who used to follow your music a lot, I, I was just amazed to be like, it, that's it. it. It stopped. And, um, like I just felt like you guys continue to build. And, and obviously when you don't know what's going on behind the scenes, um, you know, for, for a band to stop producing for, for a while, you're just like, well, what happened to them? Well, it's, um, I mean, every band is a clown car. Every band is a clown car. There's no getting around it. Um, the, the greatest records made, uh, you know, and I'm a, I'm a lifelong disciple of rock and roll music. I, I love music. I, it's, it's, there's not a close second in terms of the things that have gotten me through my greatest and my lowest points. The only thing I ever wanted to do was be in a band. It's everything to me. And so, you know, but I've, but I, and I separate that. Like some of my favorite records were made by completely shithouse crazy people. (laughs) Um, Some of the best songs you've ever heard were written by horrible people. You know what I mean? And it's, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's, and that's okay. You know, they're not, they're not on this earth to be, you know, Nobel Peace Prize winners. They're here to write songs. They're here to play guitar solos. They're here to do whatever they do. Yeah. Um, and bands don't have to get along, but bands do have to respect each other. There, ha- there has to be respect and there has to be an acknowledgement of everyone's right to see something their own way. You've got to allow um, for individual ideas. You don't have to follow every lead, but, but people, for a band to be successful, um, like I talk about that Venn diagram where everybody meets in the middle it doesn't even have to be, if you're a five member band, it doesn't have to be, everybody gets 20% of that little middle circle, but whatever percentage they do have, the other members have to appreciate and acknowledge the importance of that piece. 
you know, like we wouldn't be the same if you weren't here. The Black Crows were a really special band in the 90s, and it was a six-headed monster. And we had a problem where two of the band members individually and collectively thought, depending on the day, they thought it was a one-man show or a two-man show, but it was never even three, much less six. Mm -hmm. So they were at each other's throats nine days in a row. And then on the 10th day, they decided that it was all about them anyway, and the rest of us didn't matter. And we were all, you know, we're partners. We started this thing. We built this thing. We had a lot of help. And it was, like I say, it was built to last. And the band was at, at, at times, you know, as good a rock and roll band as you could ever see. But that internal, you know, who you are is who you are. And if, you know, I was naive enough to think that if we succeeded, it would chill everybody out. Like, well, if we sell 5 million records and our second album comes out at number one on the Billboard charts, shouldn't we be happy? Yeah. <laughs> and the answer is no, <laughs> no, no, we're not going to be happy. We're going to be angrier than we've ever been because, you know, we're, we're, we're just a mess. You know, people... Uh, you know, when you get a spotlight on you, it doesn't hide your warts. It illuminates them. You know, your, yeah. your biggest shortcomings become larger than life. And, and then when your first album is a success, it's hard to go, well, but it's working. You know, we succeeded, so we must be right. As opposed mm -hmm. to, it's not the product of hard work and luck. It's we're great. That's the, that was the Black Crows decided it just meant that we were great. As opposed to, well, we worked our ass off and we had a lot of lucky breaks. I mean, yeah, we were great, but that's just one reason we succeeded. That's not the sole reason. Yeah. So, you know, in a lot of ways, it's it's a lot of this stuff is, like I said, it's very relatable to anybody who's dealt with addiction. It's very relatable to anybody in any field who's had way too much success too fast. You can establish habits early on that are impossible to break, despite all evidence in your face saying we need to change our course. We need to change our course. Well, I mean, it definitely sounds like it is a uh, a very interesting uh, read, uh, and just be hearing from what you've had to tell us now, uh, knowing that it's not one hundred percent about the music and what's behind the story, uh, would actually make uh, make quite a good read. So, I, I myself look forward to uh, trying to grab a copy. Uh, where whereabouts um, is this book sold? Well, it's I mean, any bookstore can order it for you if they don't already have it. If, but you okay. know, in these days, it's certainly available at Amazon or any any online bookseller not to mention any actual bookstore can, can get it. It's a, uh, you know, it's not self-published. I'm with Hachette, which is a major publisher and they, Perfect. they're good at getting books to people. Excellent. Nice. Perfect. So for all the <laughs> listeners to, to, to keep an eye out for that, uh, let's take this moment and we're going to jump into the next part of our show and we're going to do uh, 20 questions with Matty G. Rapid fire questions. <laughs> All right, so uh, for li listeners who are just uh, tuning in or who have, uh, this is the first episode they've tuned into, what a treat for you. Um, Matty G is going to ask our rapid fire questions with uh, Steve and he's going to ask him 20 quick questions and Steve just has to give us the first thing that comes to his mind. All right, you ready, Steve? I can do this. I can do it. <laughs> all right, here we go. Question one, favorite movie of all time? Miller's Crossing. Favorite food? Uh, Indian food. Favorite book? Uh, boy, it's probably something by Michael Chabon, and it could be one of several, but I'll go with the Yiddish Policeman's Union. All right. Favorite DC character? I think we touched on this earlier. Batman, right? Uh, I, no, I was going to say Marion Barry, the former mayor who was a crack addict. 
<laughs> oh, oh, not Washington, D.C. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My bad. <laughs> That's awesome. Favorite song from the past year? Uh, it's by that band I referenced called Illiterate Light, and it is a song called Here Lie the Bones of My Favorite Car. Beer scotch Actually, no, or wine. no, it's no, 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 no. It's the same band, but I'm going to say it's a song called American Boy. American Boy. Okay. Check it out. Uh, beer scotch or wine? Oh, man. It's not wine. Um, well, beer, but uh, but boy, you know, just because it's so easy to get your hands on. But God, I love a good scotch. All right. All right. PC or Mac? Uh, Mac, stop it. Come on. <laughs> Star Wars or Star Trek? Um, uh, who cares? <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I actually, you know, I like that for, I like that Star Trek movie from like 10 years ago with that Chris Pine kid. I've seen yeah, one okay. of them. Yeah. I don't know. Nice. Yep. Nice. So poutine or fish and chips. Have you ever had poutine before? Why would you insult me like that? What am I? I, I just, just got to be surprised. I'm surprised yeah. how many of our listeners and how many directors and producers have never tried this. Oh, well, you're talking to the wrong people. I, I, I have no, I am a, I have, I've gone deep on poutine, but I will say a, a, a good solid fish and chips would be a preference. All right. All right. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Metallica or ACDC? Oh, for God's sakes. <laughs> it's so kind of funny because I told, I told Tony that, that I was going to, we're going to change this question, but he's like, no, no, yeah. you got to leave it in. You got to leave it in. Yeah. ACDC stop yeah. next. <laughs> Handshake or fist bump? Handshake. Right on. Weirdest secret talent. Um, oh, boy, I don't know. I can whistle in a lot of different ways. Cool. All right. Um, cool. Like five or six completely different mouth figurations, I can produce a whistle from. I'm glad you didn't oh. say from different orifices, but it was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> all from um, the mouth, baby. Yeah. <laughs> what is your worst fear? Snakes. Okay. Boxers or briefs? Well, if I'm wearing jeans, neither. If I'm uh, if I'm wearing slacks, I go with boxers. Really? You'd think that'd be the other way around. Like jeans right? are not I... the most comfortable thing to free ball in. <laughs> let me tell you. I couldn't imagine any other way. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> and, and the last question is uh favorite podcast you've been on in the last 12 hours. Uh, this morning, actually, I was on one. <laughs> with, uh... Damn, it totally backfired. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Fair enough. No, no, no. I'm I'm all about the two of you and this whole Canadian (laughs) weird sort of Florida news update poutine or fish and chips thing you got going. This rat, whatever you do, whatever this means to you guys, for me, it's a perfectly fine way to pass 47 minutes. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, Hold on. I got one question for the two. No, no. I have a question for the two of you and and I don't want hemming and hawing much like my other question. I need a direct answer. Eight inches. No wait, what? <laughs> no, 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 no. You're gonna, you're gonna wish I was asking that. Here's my question: Kids in the hall or SCTV? Kids in the hall. Kids in oh. the hall. Oh, you know what? Uh, that's no, really I'm tough. going kids in the hall. Yeah, no, I'm gonna have to go SCTV. I used to love kids in the hall, but 
uh, John Candy, Eugene Levy. No, I'm going to go SCTV. Yeah, it's okay. it's every Canadian's nightmare to be stuck in the middle of those two things. Yeah, that was a really tough one. Uh, Instinct, Kids in the Hall, only because I was like, hey, they're bringing it back. Uh, Kids in the Hall is, is yeah. on their way back. Um, yep. Unfortunately, SCTV is is will never be the same as it, it was. But, um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of my life was, of course, uh, revolved around Bob and Doug McKenzie and John Candy and, and yeah. Jim Levy. Oh, so, yeah. Yep. Yep. No, both bo- both incredible. I mean, I'm giant lifelong uh, SCTV fan and and a fan of Kids in the Hall for thirty plus years. So I just liked it. I just like to make Canadians uncomfortable, and that's the only way I figured out. How to do <laughs> it, it is a t- that is a tough one. It's yeah. a tough one. Yeah, yeah, that was that was tough. I was I was trying to go for the jump answer, and yeah, no. As soon as you said SCTV, I was like, oh, I was wrong. I failed. <laughs> oh, he could have hit yeah. us with like John Candy or Jim Carrey. That would have been a really hard one too. Oh, yeah, that would be hard. Uh, I'm gonna, since you didn't ask that, I'm not going to answer it. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we do have another question from you, uh, and that is from um, actor, writer, producer uh, Bill Foster. He says, "At what point in your career did you realize this is it? We made it big." Uh, well, because we were in such personal turmoil behind the scenes, it was kind of hard to, it, there was always a sense of this might end at any minute. But, um, that said, uh, I think in 1995, you know, we played the Royal Albert hall a couple nights and we were on our third album and we had, uh, we had known, we opened for Robert plant in 1990 on our first tour. Um, and so, and we'd always stayed friends with him. And we'd had our, the first five years of the nineties were, were pretty huge for us. You know, we were headlining European festivals in 93 and we had had two huge albums. Our third album came out and it was the first time there was like a little stumble commercially, but we were in London, we were playing Royal Albert Hall and we walked off stage and we had a great night and Robert Plant walked into the dressing room and he goes, hello boys, here's my date for the night. And it was Jimmy Page. And Jimmy said, then talked about how much he loved the band and he loved the show and he couldn't believe how much improvisation there was. And he just made him want to play and sitting in that dressing room, which is not a big room at all. And I was like looking at us and we were already a big band. Like we were, you know, established and we knew we were good, but I had a real moment of like, that's Robert Plant and Jimmy Page and they're in our dressing room and they're telling us how great we are. And, I could just you go ahead and kill me right now. I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so amazing, I'd say man. that was it. I'd say that was pretty much that was the one. That was that was one. There's a few of those, but that was really really specific. Well, that that is definitely an amazing way to to uh, yeah to to go. If anything, if you realize that's the moment, that is definitely it. Wonderful. Well, uh, do you have any uh, social media? Anything you'd like to pitch for us? Yeah, Twitter is uh, at SGS Fox, S-G-S-F-O-X. I used to do a show on Fox Sports Radio called Steve Gorman Sports, Steve Gorman Sports, which is why that Twitter handle is there, but I've just kept it. I okay. now have a classic rock radio show nationwide in the States called Steve Gorman Rocks, okay. and you can find that on Twitter as well. But uh, the main Twitter handle is S-G-S-F-O-X, and on Instagram, it's Steve underscore Gorman underscore. Excellent. Well, that is uh, wonderful. Uh, we really, really appreciate you spending a little bit of time with us. And uh, yeah, I can't wait uh, for uh, to check your book out. And hopefully some of our listeners will uh, also uh, pick it up. And I think it's going to be a good read for everyone. Right on. Thank you, fellas. Excellent. Have yourself yeah, a thanks, wonderful Steve. night. Take care. See you. Take care. Bye.
So this is a good time for us to pitch our social media. You could get us on our website. Thefap.ca. On uh, Twitter. Is the Fap 4 You can get us on Instagram. Is the Fap Podcast. Don't forget our Facebook. The Freaking Awesome Podcast. And uh, you can always reach out via email. Thefappodcast at gmail.com. I'm on the air, we on the air, we got this pocket. Ah, uh, uh, not again. What a choice. <laughs>